0: Father in heaven, we thank you for this crisp day. Thank you for the reminder of the changing of seasons. Um, may that refresh and nourish our souls as we um, are together today as your people. Bless us with the hearing and doing of your word. We pray in the powerful name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, this was. This is a. Uh standalone class of sorts. This was just a topic I was thinking about for today. Stephen and I are going to be tag-teaming doing this Curate's Corner, um, but I'm going to take this week and next week, and, um, and then he'll be doing some things in the beginning of November. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about this idea of um, the foolish message of the gospel. And the foolishness that comes in the cross, and so we'll be looking at First Corinthians chapter one, uh, where Paul uses that language to talk about the message of the gospel that he preaches. I had, I had a friend um, named Dwayne, and he he used to say, "God is useless." And I used to go, "What do you what do you mean by that? God is useless, you know?" And and what he meant was. God isn't the um, fairy genie in a bottle who comes to meet our perceived needs or to address um, every request that we have. Um, He's he's not meant to be used and he will not be used by us to further our own personal agenda or to um, enter into whatever we think is best in our life. Um, he's, He's something entirely above and beyond that. And I think people in our culture tend to look for a useful Jesus. A Jesus who may help us find inner peace. A Jesus who can help me deal with the stresses of life. A Jesus who could help me with financial setbacks. Um, A Jesus who... um, Will help provide or restore our country or our society to a better uh, place, or just simply he's, he's a way for the path to a good life, whatever however you define the good life. Um, somehow that he's he's the um, he's you know a genie in the bottle for us. And the reality is he's not. And Paul speaks to that in a passage here in 1 Corinthians 1, which um, which I've been meditating on. So this is a 1 Corinthians 1 verse, starting with verse 17. Um, and if you're in this Bible with this cover, um, that's page um, 815. So he says this For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul lays out the foolishness of God, the supposed foolishness of God, in light of the cross of Christ. And he's, of course, speaking um, to the culture of the Greeks where Corinth was located in the Greco-Roman Empire. Um, He's essentially saying, Jesus came not to answer all of your questions, your philosophical disputes or um, needs, but rather uh, he came to reconcile us to God. He came uh, to reconcile us to God and to our neighbor, to one another. Um, He came to meet a much more imminent threat in our context than perhaps what they expected whether it's known or not and he came to do that through a bloody death for sinners Um, we heard this morning Isaiah 53 the prophecy about the Messiah the God's servant who would suffer on behalf of his people the Greeks were um, were very philosophical people they exalted wisdom as a virtue and and Usually, their philosophy was centered around the question, what is the good life? What, what is the essence of what it means to live a good life? Um, whether that's um, to experience the maximum amount of pleasure and the minimum amount of pain, or whether that's to pursue a, um, a transcendent um, aspect of what is essentially good, what is, what is, what is best. Um, what is, um, so, so the good life. And so, so you, you had Aristotle, one of the very famous philosophers, and, and he talked about reaching a golden mean, essentially creating the right kind of balance in life where, where you're not prone to too much excess, uh, excessive on perhaps drinking too much. That, that would be bad. But also... Don't get too excessive on a lavish lifestyle, because that might make you slothful, on the other hand. So he talked about this golden mean. There's this middle road where you could kind of achieve this ideal sense of what's good and how to live a good life. Um, Plato, later on, he he was big on rational contemplation and um, thinking... That the essence of things is above even the material or physical world or an understanding. That there's there's these ideas and ideals that hide behind what is real. And so even in Paul's day, the Stoics, that they really emphasized the ideas of duty and detachment, being dutiful, um, being um, producing good for your community, being loyal to what. Um, what's best for society but also not to get too attached not to get too um, pulled in by um, emotional connection and so it, it was very much a, that they would they would sit around in discourse and this is what Paul in Acts 17 when he goes to the Areopagus to Mars Hill and he, he sits around all these men who are debating in, about philosophy and that's where he enters into a conversation with them about what God has done in Christ. And he actually uses some of their own um, Stoic philosophers and poets. To, he quotes them in order to point them to a greater reality. And so I wonder, you know, given that's the backdrop of what what life was like in the days of Corinth? People were seeking wisdom. What's the good life? What's that look like? What's the American gospel version of that? What's you know what what does our culture and society tell us is good, or how to best live?
1: Uh, I read a magazine the title which is Garden and Gun, which I found a delightful entertainment magazine. A lot of there was an ad in this month's issue. It really, just, it really almost disgusted me. It was from the Ocean Reef Yacht Club, and, and t- two immaculate children, you know, perfectly turned out, creased khaki shorts, the whole nine yards, deck shoes, sitting out looking at this, at this harbor full of sport fishermen, 15, 60 folks, sport fishermen, saying words to the effect that you know we have our beautiful home that we like, we have these beautiful yachts, this place, but we have our way of life. And our know, mm. way of life is capitalized, and I thought, you know, all that's well and good, but it, it is, that's the wrong message, mm. I think. Mm. For, for, you know, to use a child to give that message, to, the way of life, which is, we all want to be comfortable. I'm not saying not be comfortable, I'm saying go live in a cave.
2: hmm
1: but to make
0: that the be all and end all, mm, yeah, it's
1: sort of a sad commentary.
0: Yeah, that's that's a very direct. I mean, they're stating they're selling a lifestyle, right? They're selling when they say way of life. Um, this is what's best, and wouldn't you want this? Who wouldn't want to be part of this uh, yacht club? You know, I mean, because it, it will say something about who you are, and you'll get to have this experience. I mean I think a lot of advertising has really moved that way. It's less about advertising the product itself and it's more about advertising a lifestyle, you know? Like so whether it's a Gatorade commercial that's showing different people engaging in different athletic endeavors, you know, and it looks like they're just they're working really hard, but they're feeling a sense of reward or if it's an Apple um Advertisement. It's selling a way of life, like a, a way of being in the world that's perhaps cool, very uh, intellectual. Um, they're not always selling the exact product, you know, that that you think they are, um, because it's not so much that materialistic pull as it is a here's how you can experience life and find satisfaction. Um,
2: so many advertisements now. It's, this is all you do. That opportunity is more than the, mm. the just the advertisement. Like if you got this, nothing else matters. And so many of them tended to focus on, you yeah, know, this is it. This is this is what it's all about.
0: Yes, right yes. And so I mean, I think I think that speaks to what the American gospel is. It's it's be happy. And. The, Yeah, and succeed. You succeed in order to be happy. In other words, do as you want to. I mean, as long as it doesn't infringe on or oppress others, it's basically okay. I mean, there's, you know, nobody, including God or the Bible, should tell you um, what seeking the good life is. You should find it yourself. It's whatever meets your needs or makes you feel good. And essentially, it's you get what you deserve. You know, if you work hard and you, and you really want something, why shouldn't you have it, you know? I mean, I, I think that's, that's how um, credit lending organizations work. You know, oh, buy it now and pay for it later. You know, you can buy a lifestyle. You can achieve a certain level of, um, of, of lifestyle that's going to satisfy you. And why shouldn't you have it? You deserve it after all, you know? And um, be a good person. Just, you know, be a good person that's respectable in whatever context you find yourself, whether that's in the business world, whether that's being a uh, civic-minded person who's respected in your community. Um, We obviously value education in our society as a means to economic mobility, upward mobility. Um, You know, the, the more you invest in your own education, your own development, the higher you should go, and you should obtain a certain level of income. You know, it's very much built around a prosperity um, idea of be happy. Well, I found this quote by Dorothy Sayers, and this this really struck me about our society. I mean, she wrote this 75 years ago. Um, It is fatal to imagine that everybody knows what Christianity is and only needs a little encouragement to practice it. The fact is, not one person in 100 has the faintest notion about what the church teaches about God, man, or the person of Christ. Theologically, this country is in utter chaos, established in the name of religious toleration and rapidly degenerating into a flight from reason and the death of hope. And, you know, I thought, man, she's, she's striking something there. Um... If we confuse the gospel of Christ with the American gospel and think that it's, um, oh, this, this is easily obtainable, um, you know, that God wants me to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. He wants me to be um, fully satisfied and all my needs met. And um, all the things that I, I could conjure up or desire, I, why shouldn't I have them? Um, that's going to ultimately lead to the death of hope because we're putting our hope in things that have to do with our satisfaction. They're very centered on us and our perceived needs, um, which Scripture teaches us we are warped by sin.
3: Can I push back on that a little bit? Please though? do. Yeah. I mean, I'm going I'm to lay this out on the front end. I don't disagree with anything you said. So I'm, I'm, to an extent, playing devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. Remove the, like, the TBN, Prosperity Gospel, Joel, it seems, even Church of the Highlands... First of all, But within the context of what, you're, what we're talking about, in one sense, I would agree that Christianity is not a means to material happiness and, and wealth and stability. On the other hand, the, 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 philosophically, the, the converse of that suggests that, that God is, is almost indifferent to your inability to pay your bills or the fact that really? your education didn't work out or um, that your neighborhood's not getting any better. Um, and these were saying, and, and, and so if, to me it seems like if we're, if we're not, if we're gonna say that Christianity is not this, we need to be prepared to kind of put on yeah. our boots that we're ready to get muddy and say, all right, Christianity may mean a whole bunch of other things. I mean, I, I, think, it's, yeah. I, mean, I think it's easy to say, and I, I'm not directing this at you, Adam, but I think it's yeah. very easy to say that here. Yes. Or at Covenant, or at Shake Mountain Baptist, or at Hunter Street. It's not as easy to say that in Walker County, yeah. or in Harlan County, Kentucky, or um, yeah. you know, five miles in the other direction. Yeah. I, I think that's that's a really tricky area because I mean historically, where the gospel has flourished, so has education. So has the economy because yeah. people believe in things like property rights and the rule of law. And so these things tend to trickle after each other. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I, to me, it's, it's not that we shouldn't say that at all. I, I'm, not, I'm not in any way suggesting that. But it does feel like almost kind of walking, like when Indiana Jones was, was hopping around on the Latin letters, trying not to fall in uh-huh. when he's going after the Holy Grail. I feel like yeah. we have to be careful how we walk on that because I, yeah. I don't want to suggest um, that the, the normal routine of Christianity then is going to be. Not just suffering in some kind of abstract sense, but if it's not, if, if we say, well, Christianity is not going to be your means to health and happiness, then, okay, then what is it? You know, because if if, if Christianity does lead to personal sanctification, maybe it does lead to an ability to have certain things, and I don't know what they may be, and it's going to vary from person to person, kind of fall in line just a little bit. Yeah. If not, then we have to be prepared to say that, well, God's saving you, but you're going to still be a mess. I mean, does that right. Make
0: sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where's the hope in that?
3: Right. Because I mean, I mean, you know, <coughs> on one hand, you're saying there's Where's the hope in saying? Because what if you don't? Things don't work out. On the other hand, it's like, well, where's the hope in saying? Well, now you're a Christian, but things aren't going to get any better.
0: Yeah. No, I think you're right. There's a. a there, I think there's a natural tension there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, mean, I, I appreciate you pointing that out because the um, too often we become so we become almost gnostic right. with our Christianity. And it's, right. you know, as though it's only about you and Jesus. And it doesn't have any natural connection to a wider context of, yeah, what kind of witness is it when if we're just building big enclaves of buildings for those that are like us, right. and we're seeing, you know, some spiritual fruit, but we're not right. seeing that work itself out into loving our neighbor as well.
3: Right, well, if... if Christ came to reconcile us to God, but then also to one another, well, then that, that might mean i become a better husband over time, mm-hmm. or yes. a better employee, or a yeah. better boss, or, mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, there's going to be yeah. some level of growth there, not specifically defined by any means. Yes. But probably looking backwards, 30 years from now, you look and say, well, you know what, by God's grace, this thing, whatever it is, its it got a little better. Yeah it, as bad as it was or as bad as it could have
0: been. Yeah and I think the value of understanding what what things are kind of pressing on or creating cracks in our souls is that's usually what brings us to Jesus, right? Because if we're fully satisfied in every way, what need have we of Jesus? You know, other than other than being an add-on to an already great life. Right. And, and I think that's where the, what the challenge of preaching is. That's what the challenge of ministry is in our world, is finding those places where there's cracks in people's souls, where they're actually open to. And it's usually in the midst of asking questions that don't necessarily have to do with, am I, you know, am I separated from a holy God, and do I need to be redeemed? Um, it's usually much more... Practical and embodied than that, you know. It's usually I'm struggling with my paycheck, or I'm struggling with injustice, or um, I've I've, we've lost a child, or we just moved and we're feeling lonely. Whatever it is, you're absolutely right, and I I think that's those are opportunities that are created. But if we are looking to, well, the, the the answer to my life is going to be oh, I have the degree, or I have the job, or I have the spouse, or I have the kids, um, and we think those things are the means to the good life, we are missing out on what God has actually done for us in Christ. And and that hope only really does come through him. No other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Uh, We've had go ahead, experience Kyle.
1: experience over the last year of going to a couple of churches you'd have to call hard scribble churches. The Dogwood Grove Missionary Baptist Church in Edgar, Alabama, which some people like coal miners whose whole facility burned down just after their pastor left. Wow. They were getting on, getting on with a great guy who's on faculty of peace who's the chaplain to the students of peace. And we've been to the Zion Springs Baptist Church Oh, sure. I know Adam Mixon. Adam Mixon, Adam Mixon and, and a holy, physically and financially, I mean, uh, not even, you know, the, the concept of the Advent versus either of those yeah. churches, mm-hmm. you, can't even, you almost can't speak of them in the same term. Mm-hmm.
0: But
1: the message of both and the, the people it both. The hardscrabble coal miners that didn't, you know, that some of them didn't know that they won't have a job next month. Hmm. And, and then the people in, in North Allendale at Zion Springs who very blithely told us, oh, they're studying Bonhoeffer in their Wednesday night study group. And for an African-American church to be studying Bonhoeffer in North Allendale, <laughs> Alabama, it was sort of a, it, 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 we just went forward with it. And, their situation was so wholly different, but their whole persona, their whole, not their persona, but their faith was at least as well grounded as we have here, probably better in many respects because they've seen the hard side of life and will continue mm-hmm. to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, we were both taken, <clears throat> so taken with the faith and the, and the humility and the, and, the, and the hospitality that was shown in both places. It was amazing to us. I'm going to try to get Sam to go to uh, Zion Springs with us uh, and visit visit Adam there if we can swing
0: it yeah I very much like him Mm -hmm. he's he's a good friend Um, yeah you're right the message is the same because they're proclaiming the gospel and the gospel is that the incarnation uh, part of Paul's point here about the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world the incarnation is a little ludicrous it's scandalous even that a holy God who created all things would come and be among the, the grit and the grime. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's a scandal. It was a scandal to the Greek philosopher mind that, you know, in, in Plato's dualism, you know, sp- things that are spiritual are much, much more important than things that are physical. You know, these things are going to pass away, but these spiritual things are going to last. God permanently indwells humanity through his Son He took on flesh and lived among us and that message that Paul is announcing it was um, it was crazy to a Greek world that would have that would have thought no there's there's no interplay between heaven and earth you know and and so that upside down nature of the kingdom, that not only would he come and live among the grit and the grime, but he would be crucified. The God of the universe would be killed on a cross. And a cross was a horrible instrument, and it was, it was invented by barbarian type people, you know, as a torture device. And it's the very means by which God brings redemption to the world. God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ. That message, Paul is saying, is scandalous to the Greek mind. And I think it's scandalous to the American mind as well. Because it speaks to uh, winning by seemingly losing. <laughs> you know, It speaks to... Um, it's antithetical to our own impulse to want to earn favor or to present ourselves as, ha- as being in good reputation but rather it's a confession, if Christ died for my sins, it's a confession that I needed saving one and that it, it took God going to the greatest extent of love to do that. And then for people as, as you've both spoken to who have really known hardship and suffering and uncertainty, it brings the imminence of God with us, that idea of Emmanuel God is with us. He is with you in your pain and sadness. He is with you in the darkness. You know, God, who is full of light, entered into the darkness of death. And that's a source of great hope and comfort for those that have known him, especially known him in those dark times. Um, and in that way, it's, it's antithetical to our world's message of power and wealth and I was thinking in this, actually, about uh, the, the Republican candidate, um, Donald Trump. You know, about him and his political platform. This isn't a commentary on his politics or anything. But, you know, I did read, he, he was saying, basically, our, our country's branding is at an all-time low in, in the state of the world. Um, and, and, and he basically keeps talking about America needs to win again. And we need to win, and I'm I, I'm a winner, you know. And, and he does so with, you know, his somewhat brash personality. And he's clearly made it in in the financial world. Um, but but I think he his candidacy a little bit speaks to the idea of what we think really it means to be on top. What it means to be on top is to bring power and and wealth to bear on things. And of course, power and wealth can be used for great good. Um, but I think that's a little bit of the tale of the Lord of the Rings too. Is you know, with that power and wealth, there's there's a danger in it because we're all corruptible. Um, and um, but I, I think that's a little bit of a picture of the wisdom of the world um, because it, it's not it's not coming from a place of um, realistic humility, you know. Um, it's not coming from a place of understanding the way. Things work in God's economy, um, and Paul speaks later in, to the Corinthians in his second letter about, you know, God made him who is rich to be poor for your sakes, so that you who are poor might be made rich. Can
2: you ask a question? Yeah, please, Lord. Well, we've talked a lot about the Greeks. So why? And I should know this. I feel like, but why? Was it such a hard pill for the Jews to swallow? I mean, going, and you look in the Old Testament, there were signs that pointed to Christ, and and then it came. I mean, why was it such a big... I mean, what was it? The cru, What was the crux there? For so the Greeks, it was this, you know, other spiritual that came to be physical. But so what was it with the Jews? I mean, yeah,
0: was that's that a that
2: gr- it I don't, I mean, I'm asking. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, that's a great question. I mean, the mm-hmm. the... You know, the answer scripture seems to give is a blindness and a hard heartedness.
2: Their eyes and have not been open their ears. Yes,
0: and yes. It, and in some sense, you know, this is, you get into these predestination conversations where it just becomes a tangled ball of yarn. Yeah. You know, because all of us are blind, all mm-hmm. of us are hard hearted. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a sense in which um, they, they were not expecting. Redemption to come in the package that Jesus brought it.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Or anything to do, and, and I just thought of this, with the fact that, that Christ came in the middle of the time when the Romans kind of had their thumbs on things. I mean, there was right. a certain level of freedom to, to worship as you please, but it wasn't their show. Yeah. And then yeah, maybe there was a feeling, especially coming on the heels of just like the stuff that's in the. Um, the apocrypha, the historically that, that happened right mm-hmm. before Jesus, um, kind of the Hanukkah stories. I wonder if there's if there's something to do with that that maybe there was a feeling that you know Jesus would come riding in on his white horse, literally like, come with in a, like with for a flaming sword and just
0: yeah.
2: demand signs. That's wow.
0: what they say. Well, in <laughs> fact, in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, yeah. he had a following. He was kind of at That's the peak of his popularity. He was on a donkey, mm-hmm. and there, there was this sense even among the disciples like Lord will you now restore the kingdom of Israel you know and and everybody they were looking for a Messiah who would break the powers that be and rise to imminence and it would be through much power um, and so a lot of the prophecies about all the, the ships of Tarshish coming to Jerusalem, all the, all the kings of the known world coming and bowing at the kingdom of David. Um, th- they were expecting that, and instead God comes, not born in a palace, but Jesus is born in a simple barn. He, he lives not a life of luxury, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Um, he did perform signs and miracles, signs which Paul says Jews were looking for, miraculous signs. But yet it's interesting that those signs almost never produced lasting spiritual fruit in Jesus' ministry. He, he the signs were only to attest to his teaching about who he was. What were you going to say, Lori? I just
2: felt like, I was, I was reading in Matthew earlier this week, and it, he was, someone came to him and asked him to heal them, and he said, look, I okay, hear you, go. I'm healing. Yeah, like, like, it was almost like, Okay, so you can know that I am the Son of God and mm-hmm. the I will do it, but this is not what I've come to do. Yeah. You
0: know, I'm not That's exactly right. A, it's like this is this is a temporary thing that I can do for you, right. but it's only a sign that points to the bigger reality, mm-hmm. is that my, my life, death, and resurrection does bring healing, mm-hmm. and it brings a wholeness. Mm-hmm. And this is the balm of Gilead that has come mm-hmm. to help um, bring ultimate healing. And so it became a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations, of which I think all of us, unless you're of Jewish ancestry and descent, we are all privileged to have been grafted in, as Paul talks about in Romans. We are grafted into God's people and to His covenant, and that's what makes it all of grace. It's all of grace, and it's, it's God doing the work and Him coming to us, and that's what's so amazing. And that's a little bit what I think strikes a little bit of a, it rubs some people raw because the good old American work ethic is, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We get to pursue things. We get to build things. And great things have happened in our country's history because of that, because of hard work and determination. It's a little bit of an affront that, uh, that Paul, Paul is saying even to us that our way of thinking and our wisdom is foolishness to God. That in fact God mocks our worldly wisdom, and He mocks it through the cross, through a seeming defeat, a, a, a seemingly a display of weakness, not of power. And um, and I think that's part of the mystery of the gospel of grace, um, and why it's hard for some people to swallow, frankly. Um, but he calls us to enter into this kind of life, to enter into not so much what's what's affirmed by the world around us or what's so much um, given prominence and stature, but rather to look to Christ and his crucifixion, to see um, to see instead how, How we ought to live. So I I know this brings up all kinds of um, implications and questions. Um, One of them for me is just what does it look like to run to the cross, to run to Jesus, instead of maybe running to things we are um, very comfortable turning to. Um, Security and money or comfort or ways of fixing things. Um, You know, five steps to a... Um, restored relationship, whatever it is. You know, our self help um, resources are immense, and yet people's lives aren't working. <laughs> uh, people, people are still wrestling with the same problems. And um, yeah, what does it look like to run to Christ instead of to weigh means we normally would find to fix things? I think part of it is um, recognizing that we find God where he finds us <laughs> we find him in a place of need and he comes to us in that he comes to us in in the word he comes to us by his spirit he comes to us through using people vessels of with jar, jars of clay you know people who um, who know what it's like to need that's where it just is important to be part of a church congregation to have relationships with people who can uh, be resources in times of need that's a means God uses um, in our lives and I do find it uh very um, it seemingly backwards what Jesus teaches in matthew twenty five that it's in the prisoner, it's in the sick, it's in the hungry and the poor that we that God finds us, you know. People say, "Well, when Lord, did we when did we feed you? When did we visit you?" And he says, "Whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me." And somehow somehow that's where we meet God. <laughs> In in places that we wouldn't always expect.
2: But at the same time, it can't be apart from the scripture because without, I, mean, cause I can find lots of people, I think my age, who are very drawn to the poor. They're very drawn hmm. to living a simple life, hmm. living outside of the health and wealth bubble, and um, and that's enough. But it's not <coughs> still not enough uh. without scripture. God reveals us, speaks to us. I mean, which I've just kind of feel like I've renewed my, or God has renewed my love for Scripture because I was like, "Where are you? Why aren't you speaking to me?" You know, and mm. I wasn't reading my Bible. Mm. You know, I can have all the do all the good things in the world and and try and make my family live a certain way and eat the right food and. Get it from all the right sources and feed the right people—the hungry, the homeless. But if I'm not yeah. learning in His Scripture and learning His Word, then I'm not hearing from Him hmm. primarily. I and mean, I think that's where, for from what I hear, like the culture war, like that—that's that's where I see the missing gap. The Scripture think, just isn't yeah. present. I think among yeah.
3: millennials, there's certainly thousands of social justice warriors out there who'll tell you all the ways they help the less fortunate. And in the material things they, they probably do. But whether they're Christian or not, if it's detached from yeah. scriptural reality, you know, on a big scale, their policy prescriptions are going to be off-base. Mm-hmm. But on a specific level, they're still not... They're getting to define Jesus on their own terms. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right, and he does need us in these unexpected places. And so maybe that is a conversation with a homeless person, or maybe it's a conversation just with that family member that you don't really like. But God says something meaningful to you when you're, you know, standing in line together, getting getting your lunch or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if if you're, and I think Christians are really proud of this. If if we're not in the Scripture one on one on our own, and then in a community of believers, yep. then even the ministry we do can be we can define it on our own terms, and then. It almost becomes self-congratulatory. Look, look what I did with these you know, these people who were in need. Oh yeah. And and, and frankly, there's no shortage of of you, know, you hear from time to time people who often in their politics who are not really um, involved in, with Christian ministry will, will often kind of say, oh, well, church needs to do more to do da 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 da. In fact, the, the the famous sociologist Robert Putnam Putnam, not Putnam Putnam said at some White House event several months ago he said, you know churches need to do more to yeah. help the less fortunate and. The next week, there were just countless articles uh, recounting the ways churches, both kind of liberal congregations mm-hmm. and certainly conservative evangelical congregations, the amount of money and the amount of time they spend with the less fortunate. So, yeah. now it, respectfully, sir, you're, you're wrong on this point. Yeah. But so, so there's a lot of that to do. But if it's not attached to, to attach the scripture, so right. then all of a sudden you kind of you've constructed your own bu- vision of Jesus. That mm-hmm. Um, or, or maybe, not, maybe not even your own, but you, you picked up on one angle that the Bible clearly demonstrates, mm. and then there's all these other angles that you've left off the table. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, apart from that, you, you run the risk of, of defining things on your own terms in a way that the Bible itself wouldn't let you do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right, and that's the importance of That's why Paul's talking about the message of the gospel, the proclamation of it. And... Um, And we need to immerse ourselves in it, sink into it, um, dialogue with it, pray through it, and live it out in our community. Thanks for y'all's participation. I really appreciate that. No, this was wonderful. Go forth in God's peace.